email platforms for writers in 2024. Writers have never had it so good. Towards the tail end of 2023, I innocently asked readers what platforms they're most interested in, either that they're already using or would like to know more about. 70 replies later, turns out people really want to know more about their options. I'm not surprised, given the volatility of online spaces in the 2020s. I mean, go back a decade or two, and there was at least the perception of platform stability. Remember when it was inconceivable that Twitter would simply go away? There's been a proliferation of platforms vying for the attention of writers and readers, which has made it an increasingly complicated scene to enter and navigate. This article, and this audio version that you're listening to, is my first attempt to find my way through the maze, and hopefully it will help you as well. I've had to split this into multiple posts, uh, and you'll see why when you figure out just how long this thing is that you've started listening to. Today I'm taking a look at email platforms specifically. Next time I'm going to look at other types of platforms that are useful for writers, Things like crowdfunding platforms, serialization, self-publishing, and so on. Obvious caveat before we get started. I will have missed things from this list. If your favorite platform or service isn't mentioned, or if you just disagree with any of the ones I've mentioned, uh, I'll see you down in the comments. A quick note about licensing. It's important to protect your work when sharing it online. There are two aspects to this when publishing online. One can you trust the organization behind the platform you're using? And two, can you stop individuals from copying and potentially repurposing your work? Number one is all about making sure you're working with reputable websites and companies. Always check the TNCs, especially if you're posting your work to their servers. TNCs are massively boring, but in this case, it's about valuing your work and looking after it. It's worth your time. Like if you're going to put the time into writing this material in the first place, look after it, put the time in to look after it on the other end. The general rule of thumb is that you'll need to grant any platform you use a license to use your work, otherwise they can't actually show it on their website, but within carefully specified parameters. This is taken from Ghost's licensing term as an example. Grant of license. By submitting your content to Ghost Foundation's services, you grant Ghost Foundation a perpetual irrevocable, worldwide, sub-licensable, royalty-free, and non-exclusive license to reproduce, modify, adapt, and publish your content solely for the purpose of displaying, distributing, and promoting your site. Still with me? It's quite broad as these things tend to be. You're giving them permission to publish, adapt, and reproduce your work forever. It sounds scary. The important bit is at the end, solely for the purpose of displaying, distributing and promoting your site. In other words, they can't take your writing and go and sell it as a book without your permission. They can't go off and make it into a movie or something. Watch out for any platform that has an unrestricted license or which claims actual copyright slash ownership over the submitted content. Also note the vital non-exclusive clause. This means you're not locked in to the platform. You can still take your writing and put it elsewhere in whatever way you want. As for concern number two of unscrupulous individuals stealing your work for their own evil ends, well, no, you can't really stop that. Piracy 
exists. Large corporations, in fact, having fought it impotently for decades, are now trying to own it through the mass scraping of data by their AI models. I mean, if you can't beat them, etc. Thing is, no professional agent, editor or publisher is going to engage with stolen material. So you don't need to worry about your book suddenly showing up on the New York Times bestseller list with someone else's name attached. But you might see your words show up on other dodgy sites. Remember though, people who really value your work, the ones you actually want to connect with, will always come straight to you. They'll make a point of doing that. They're not going to pirate your work. Generally, any measures you try and put in place to stop piracy will primarily only harm your legitimate readers slash customers. My advice would be to not get all kink and about piracy. It would just be a waste of your time. Focus on the readers that actually matter. Okay, on with the show. Newsletters in 2024. The cool new kid on the block. Newsletters are where it is at. Except they're old. Really old. Email lists have been a thing since at least the 90s and haven't really changed all that much. You write a newsletter, it gets sent out to lots of people. Simple. In fact, word has it that this was invented long before the internet and used to go out via paper envelopes and post boxes. Crazy, I know. The technical process has evolved. Sticking emails into a BCC list doesn't really scale very well. Rewind a decade and MailChimp was the obvious go-to. Big corporations used it, as did individuals and small companies. The emphasis there was and still is on marketing-style emails and looking professional and corporate. The big shift in the last five years or so has been the introduction of a new kind of newsletter service, which focuses more on writers and long-form writing rather than image-heavy corporate promo pieces with complex layouts. Here's the thing about mailing lists. You should have started building yours about 20 years ago. If you don't have one yet, the time to start is right now. I mean, seriously, I mean, go and do it right now. Maybe read the rest of this article so you know where you're going, but then go and do it. A list of people genuinely interested in your work that you can communicate with directly, independent of unpredictable social networks, is immensely valuable. Overzealous spam filters aside, it's a far more reliable mode of communications than social networks, or, in fact, waiting to publish your next book. Even if you're traditionally published and doing very well for yourself, thank you very much, you should still be building a list. If you're brand new and nobody knows who you are, you should be building a list. If you're self-published, you should definitely be building a list. There are no real drawbacks to building a list of enthusiastic readers. So do it now. It doesn't mean you have to fully commit to the newsletter game, but it will give you options and agency. So let's look at what you can actually use to pull this off. Substack. This is the biggie, the cool kid in town. Also the troubled kid, the pseudo-intellectual kid with delusions of grandeur and naive political opinions. Substack is a lot of things. The short version is, I use Substack for this newsletter, and in fact to publish this podcast audio version that you're listening to as well. As a toolkit for writers, it's incredible, and I highly recommend it. Here's what you get. A very easy-to-use interface and newsletter editor, an accompanying website with all your material on it, an easy option to receive income from paid subscriptions, if, if you want to go that way. You can also use Substack to host video and podcasts. Pretty good community features, making it easy to get feedback on your work and drive discussions. 
There's an integrated social network that is superficially similar to Twitter of old called Notes. It's still pretty new, but so far I've found it pleasant and actually quite useful. A highly effective recommendation engine, and there's a lovely community of fiction and non-fiction writers. Can you export your data and followers? Yes. What's the cost? Free to use. If you activate paid subscribers, Substack then takes a 10% cut. What's the moderation and safeguarding policy? Well, Substack has been in the news a lot for hosting newsletters that are written by deeply unpleasant people. Anti-trans, anti-vax, extreme far-right goons. Substack generally resists any kind of moderation or content policing, except for banning porn for some reason. Quite often, the Substack leadership's absolutist opinions on freedom of speech and their embracing of culture war politics and fringe figures is at best tedious and at worst quite damaging to everyone else. The other wrinkle is that each Substack publication is its own siloed island. As such, the moderation emphasis is on the writer. I can block, ban, mute people, causing problems in my community like down in the comments of this post, for example, quite easily. The idea is that my publication is mine, and it's up to me, therefore, to look after it and the readers of it. In theory, this makes sense. If I'm getting unpleasant comments on my WordPress website, it's not really up to WordPress to sort it out. But in practice, it's fiddlier. You know, I'm a white, middle-aged, straight guy in the UK who writes fun sci-fi stories. I'm generally not going to be the target of online harassment, right? It's not that simple for everyone, and with the introduction of notes and the recommendations network across Substack, both of which are fantastic tools, don't get me wrong, but it means that publications aren't as isolated as they once were. Wait, so if you're left-leaning or progressive or you know, don't like Nazis or find the polarised politics in the US extremely juvenile <clears throat> or don't have time to moderate bad actors, you shouldn't use Substack? Well, it's complicated... I'm still here, and for the record, I really hate Nazis. I think freedom of speech is an ongoing societal discussion rather than an absolute that was decided a couple hundred years ago. But I'm not going to run away from every place that has awful people because eventually I'll have nowhere left to go, and the only voices left will be the horribles. Where you sit on this kind of thing is a very personal decision. But if you use any online platform at all, you will be sharing it with the worst of humanity. I don't know what the solution is other than to write furiously and publish more words than they do. For the record, my actual experience of community on Substack has been 99.9% hugely positive. It's the best fiction writing group I've ever been part of. If you do go down the Substack road, I have some tutorials to get you started as well. Uh, you can find them over on the main newsletter, simonkjones.substack.com. Ghost. The closest competitor to Substack, at least in terms of features, is probably Ghost. They've got a similar-ish model to WordPress in that you can use their off-the-shelf package for a fee or roll your own with the open-source version. Ghost has the same core design as Substack, mixing newsletters and a website together. Two key differences are that Ghost gives you a lot more design flexibility and that there are no social networking features kind of wrapped around the edges. Your ghost newsletter will be your own island without intrusion from other ghost writers. Part of that flexibility includes integrations with third-party apps and systems. 
With Substack, you just get what you're given. But with Ghost, you can customise your setup and the experience of your readers. The interface is modern and pleasant to use. The editor reminds me of old school medium and the whole thing is slickly executed. Oh, and Ghost is a non-profit, which is cool and also makes them probably less likely to do mad, musky things in pursuit of unshackled profit. You can export your data and followers, yes. What's the cost? So there are two ways of doing Ghost. Ghost Pro is a service you pay for where everything's taken care of, you pay a subscription fee, uh, but you can also use the open source version to host your own Ghost setup, which is free, but obviously comes with considerably higher technical know-how requirements, and you will still need to pay for hosting. Ghost Pro's cost scales based on your subscriber numbers, so it's quite variable. For example, if you have under 500 subscribers, so you're just getting started, it's $9 per month for the basic plan. If you want the custom integrations and fancy themes, that goes up to $25 per month. I currently, as an example, have over 3,000 subscribers, which still boggles my mind, by the way. Um, but that puts me into a different price bracket. So the basic plan for me would be $15 per month, and the custom plan would be $65 per month. For me, then, that equates to $180 per year minimum, or it suddenly leaps up to $780 per year if I wanted to actually take advantage of Ghost's more flexible setup. And that's not really doable for me. However, Ghost doesn't take a cut of your subscriber revenue. The calculation here is immediately obvious. If you write a newsletter as a hobby and don't have much or any income from it, if you're not interested in going the paid route, Ghost doesn't really make sense. You're going to be paying quite a lot just to be able to write and publish your stuff. But if your newsletter is more of a business, then Ghost suddenly becomes much more exciting. You're paying a fixed rate, scalable to your customer base, i.e. the number of subscribers you have, but that's entirely separate from your actual paid subscriber income. So whether you have 10 or 10,000 paid subscribers, Substack will always take 10% of your income, which is going to become increasingly painful as you become more successful. Ghost, on the other hand, takes a fixed amount relative to total subscriber numbers and doesn't care how much you're actually making from the newsletter. What's the moderation and safeguarding policy? So... During the Substack content moderation controversy at the end of 2023, a lot of writers decamped over to Ghost. The founder of Ghost gave assurances to Platformer that they wouldn't allow Nazi content. The reality is slightly more complex, given that there's a free open source option. You know, Much like with WordPress, anyone can use Ghost Tech if they want. They can just download it and install it themselves. And Ghost can't do much about that. That's the whole point of open source software, in a way. But the TNCs are clear and comprehensive. Medium. I started out publishing non-fiction on Medium about a decade ago, maybe. It was an exciting new space that emphasised long-form, high-quality writing, and its model seemed to be trying to encourage quality. It was therefore entirely at odds with the rest of the internet at the time, which was doubling down on micro-blogging and video. Medium's interface was beautiful for both writers and readers. Simple, clean, uncluttered. It was all about the words on the page. Medium was also one of the first platforms to introduce the ability to be paid for your writing. By opting into their partner program, you would get a cut of overall Medium subscription revenue based on how much your work had been read. 
It was an intriguing concept back when accepted wisdom was that everything on the internet had to be free and ad-supported. For readers, it was a single, simple subscription to Medium itself that then unlocked all of the writing on the platform. Then it all got a bit weird. The payment model kept changing in slightly hard-to-keep-track-of ways. More and more features were layered on top, so the editor became less clean and more of a faff. They introduced things called publications, which were sort of magazines, and tried to make that a thing. Then that became newsletters, but again, only sort of. The feed for what you were reading became increasingly algorithmic to the point that I could never actually find the writers I'd originally chosen to follow. Classic enshittification, basically. At some point, they introduced a form of newslettering, like I say, but it was convoluted and awkward, and the payment system never really seemed to take off, and the whole platform was just a bit too obtuse. I could never get a firm handle on what it was, or what it wasn't. Logging back into Medium for the first time in a while as part of researching this article, my feed is a slightly bizarre mix of things I'm actually interested in, and just endless articles about AI. It's hard to know if this is because of things I maybe read in the past, now, I've always been quite interested in tech, or something else, or is everyone just writing about AI on Medium and that's it? Again, it's hard to pin down how Medium works. That lack of clarity is what pushed me towards Substack in the first place. What strikes me now is the uncertainty around how the partner program works. So here's what their FAQ says at the moment. Earnings will be based on member read and listen time, as well as member engagement signals. This includes claps, highlights, replies, and new follows. Reads and read ratios will be defined as people who read your story for 30 seconds or more, divided by total views. More information on how earnings are calculated can be found here with examples featured here. I don't really get how you're supposed to have any kind of predictable income from your writing, and there's so many fuzzy factors involved. Compare this to Ghost or Substack, where income is entirely based on how many paying subscribers a writer has. I have much, I have a much firmer idea of how my subscriber count could fluctuate over time. There are still lots of unknown factors, of course, and you can't predict everything, but the core exchange between me and Substack, or me and Ghost... It's between the writer and the reader, and whether the reader sees something of value or a writer they want to support. Medium, on the other hand, introduces a lot of additional calculations that are outside of the writer's direct control. And, you know, Medium could just go and change their system, change their algorithm, and you're back to square one. Ultimately, Medium feels to me like it was a necessary stepping stone between traditional social media platforms and the newsletter scene of Ghost and Substack. That, for me at least, has left Medium in a kind of awkward space. Then again, it's reinvented itself more than once, so we may not yet have seen its final form. Can you export your data and followers? Uh, sort of? They've added features over time so that you can run a more traditional newsletter setup, but it sits alongside the general Medium readership, so might not include all of your followers. Yeah, it's confusing. What's the cost? So it's free to use. If you want to be part of the partner program and therefore be eligible to receive revenue share, you need to also be a member of Medium, which is $5 per month or $60 per year. And bear in mind, your readers will also have to be Medium subscribers to read anything that you opt into the partner program. So yeah, it's confusing. What's the moderation and safeguarding policy? Uh, well, Medium has a comprehensive content policy. 
I don't have enough recent experience to assess how well they enforce it, but it's a good starting point. Button Down. Back when I was thinking about getting into the newsletter game, Button Down was actually the first service I tried before Substack. Back then it was run by a single guy, I think, and had a cosy homebrew sort of feel. Comics writer Kieran Gillen uses it, which is how I heard about it in the first place. It's a more stripped-down experience on the surface, but has a wealth of functionality if you're the sort of person who likes to tinker. In fact, since I last used it in, I think, 2021, it seems to have massively evolved and is quite feature-rich now. A big appeal is that it's down-to-earth and isn't trying to change the world, like every other damned startup and tech company. Button Down is a newsletter service for people who are fed up of Silicon Valley bullshit, basically. The people I spoke to there back in the day were really helpful and just normal, which is strangely unusual in tech circles. Uh, can you export your data and followers? Yep, you're in total control. What's the cost? So if you have less than 100 subscribers, it's free, which is cool. It then scales up from there. So up to 1,000 subscribers, it's $9 per month. Up to 5,000 subscribers, it's $29 per month. So that's a bit cheaper than Ghost, but you still get a lot of customization, API access, and so on. It's a really good deal. Uh, as for the moderation and safeguarding policy, it seems to be pretty bare bones, to be honest, like browsing through their TNCs. Then again, button down is kind of more like Gmail. It has no networking functionality like Substack. It's very much a tool, and it doesn't really claim to be much more than that. While they do highlight Substack's lackluster content moderation in a blog post, I wasn't able to actually find much detail from them on their own approach. Lots of people did decamp from Substack to Button Down back in January, so presumably they all concluded that it was a more suitable place for them from a content moderation perspective. So if that's a real concern of yours, it's not a bad place to start. Beehive. Hmm. This is in some ways the new kid on the block, and the one with lots of momentum. I keep hearing it mentioned all over the place. So their promotional copy is very heavy on the corporate angle. It's all about building a brand and a business with a newsletter at its heart. From that, it seems that they're going after the MailChimp crowd rather than the Substack creator crowd. There's heavy flavorings of startup here. And, I mean, they emphasize AI as being a core feature. So, you know, that might tell you everything you need to know, to be honest. Um, one very interesting feature is the inclusion of a recommendation system, though, and networking features similar to Substacks. Ghost and Button Down seem to have deliberately avoided going down that road, while Beehive is very much following Substack's lead. Beehive wants to be a stable, reliable place to build a business or brand. It's perhaps less obviously aimed at writers, but there's no reason it can't still be a good option for writers. Except there's a really bonkers bit in their TNCs. So in the content standards section, they list a bunch of things, and it's quite comprehensive, and most of it is fairly typical, a lot more detailed than button-down, and more along the lines of the sort of thing you'd see in Ghosts, TNCs. You know, this kind of thing. So to quote, uh, your posts can't contain any material that is defamatory, obscene, indecent, abusive, offensive, harassing, violent, hateful, inflammatory, or otherwise objectionable or that could be reasonably incite violence based on protected classes, e.g. incite credible threats of physical harm to people based on their race, ethnicity, 
national origin, religion, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, age, disability, or medical condition. It's a bit like spoken word poetry, isn't it? Um, But yeah, that's all fair enough. That's standard stuff. I expect to see most of that on any reputable site. Um, But it keeps going after this. So there's, there's loads of stuff in this content moderation section of the TNCs about what you can't do. So you get to the ninth entry in this list of banned content. And I quote, you must not cause annoyance, inconvenience, or needless anxiety, or be likely to upset, embarrass, alarm, or annoy any other person. Yikes. So, as I mentioned up top, I'm absolutely not a free speech obsessive. I think spaces should be safe, and debate should be rich and heated and deep and intelligent, and the notion of free speech doesn't mean it's okay to be a total asshole. So I'm all for, you know, decent content moderation and taking that kind of stuff seriously. But that line in Beehive's TNCs really startled me. I had to reread it a few times to make sure I wasn't overreacting. Because no matter how I look at it, it seems to be declaring, your writing must not elicit an emotional response. I mean, fiction can often cause anxiety and alarm. I mean, have you read a horror story? Story endings frequently annoy people, and you know, that's just fiction. If you consider creative non-fiction, journalism, political writing, I mean, that's going to cause annoyance, right? Even if it isn't trying to, that's just the result of writing something that matters, about which people will have differing and strong opinions. And that's fine. I still think I must be misinterpreting this because it's just too mad, but there it is. Perhaps it stems from their business focus. They want to be a stable platform to build a brand upon and avoid the perils demonstrated by Twitter slash X becoming so toxic that companies have suspended advertising and just left. But yeah, it's weird. Can you export your data and followers? Uh, Yeah. What's the cost? Uh, It's free up to 2,500 subscribers, which is a lot more generous than any of the other options. Um, Beyond 2,500, it jumps to $42 per month, which sits in between button down and ghost. What's the moderation and safeguarding policy? Uh, See what I said earlier? It's kind of loopy. MailChimp. The veteran. MailChimp has been around for ages. It's fiddly, unnecessarily complex to use for just writing, and entirely aimed at corporate use. It is very powerful, though, and if you want to create automated sequences or incorporate it into a wider sales funnel, it's all good. Specifically for writers, I wouldn't recommend it. It will make everything harder simply because it has very different use cases in mind. Can you export your data and followers? Yeah. What's the cost? Up to 500 subscribers, there's a free plan with basic features. Get more subscribers and pricing begins at £21 per month, but then scales up rapidly. I'd be on the up to 5,000 subscribers band at £60 per month, which is a lot. What's the moderation and safeguarding policy? Uh, The usual stuff. MailChimp is a background service. Nobody goes around saying, subscribe to my MailChimp. Most people want MailChimp itself to be invisible, so they rarely get into the weeds around moderation and enforcement. But, you know, corporations are their business, so they're going to behave accordingly. Convert kit. So take MailChimp's features, but aim them at creators instead of corporations, and you end up with something like ConvertKit. It's MailChimp's cool younger sibling. Intriguingly, 
they've more recently added creator networking features and a recommendation engine like you see on Substack. So you've got the email automation and CRM features of MailChimp, the email and API capabilities of Ghost and ButtonDown, and the creator writer focus of Substack. If you're interested in developing your creator practice as a business, this might be the one for you. It might also be overkill and overly complex if you just want to, you know, do some writing. Can you export your data and followers? Yeah. What's the cost? Up to a thousand subscribers, it's free, but you do then miss out on a lot of the best features. To get the full feature set, you're looking at $9 per month for up to 300 subs, scaling up from there. For over 3,000 subscribers, you're looking at $66 per month. What's the moderation and safeguarding policy? It took me a while to find their usage policy, and it looks like the usual kind of stuff. However, there's a definite emphasis on quality of content rather than on types of content. They don't want you to use their services for spam or low-quality material. It's kind of interesting how they mix together rules against basically dodgy business practices with guidelines and rules against harmful content and material. There's kind of kind of a weird blowing there that I didn't really see anywhere else. Okay, that's 4,000 words and my voice is starting to go a bit croaky. And, you know, all we've done is covered the leading newsletter platforms. In a future post, I'm going to be taking a look at crowdfunding and serialization platforms, which make up the other pieces of the puzzle for online writers these days. It's also worth taking a look at Russell Nolte's newsletter, as he frequently covers this sort of thing. For more general platform and media analysis, Simon Owen's media newsletter is good, as is Platformer. Uh, I wrote this in February 2024. If you're listening from the future, things may well have changed drastically. You know what these online platforms are like. So do hop down into the comments over at simonkjones.substack.com to let me know if I missed anything, to share what you prefer to use and why. And meanwhile, I'll see some of you on Wednesday for the next episode of the extremely fun Babylon 5 rewatch that I'm doing. And on Friday for a new chapter of my serialized story, Tales from the Triverse. Thanks for listening. I hope this was useful. And uh, yeah, get writing.